0: The story of Jesus' resurrection, known to us as the Easter story, comes to us from four different writers. We have Matthew's version, Mark's version, Luke's version, and John's version. And all four of these accounts are a little different. However, that's not something that should concern you. It would be like four of you um, sitting down this afternoon and writing an analysis Of this sermon. Uh, You would have all heard exactly the same sermon and yet your accounts would certainly differ. One of you might go into more detail, another might go into less detail. One of you might focus more on the presentation, the other one might focus more on the content. And that's what we have in the four versions of the Easter story, the resurrection. They're all writing about the same event but with a little different slant, a little different perspective, with a few details added or subtracted. But this is the most important thing you need to know about these four versions of the resurrection story. They're in complete harmony. There's nothing in any of the stories, the accounts, that contradicts something in the other accounts. And that's really the important thing. So when Easter Sunday rolls around, we preachers have to decide which of the four accounts we want to use uh, to draw our remarks from. And I suppose over the years, I've preached an equal number of sermons on each of the four accounts. Today, I would like to do something a little different. I want to draw my remarks from all four of these accounts. Now, relax. I'm not going to read them all or uh, dissect them all. We'd be here all day if I did that. But I am going to take the totality of the information we have about the resurrection and draw three questions from it, three questions for Easter, three questions that I think we would all do well to think about. Here's the first one. What are we missing? What are we missing? As I said, the gospel narratives are all a little different in their point of view and their emphasis, but they do have things in common. One of the things they have in common is that they all emphasize the sense of wonder and surprise that the characters in the story felt. Everybody seemed to be shocked that Jesus came out of that tomb. Now that's interesting because the coming of the Messiah had been foretold for centuries. And Jesus did everything he could to let people know that he was that Messiah. Not only did he do miracles out in the open for people to see, including the raising of three people from the dead, He even predicted in no uncertain terms. He told people that he would be coming out of that tomb on the third day. Mark 8.31 says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. One chapter later in Mark 9, verse 31, he said to his disciples, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, and he will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Jesus made absolutely no attempt to obscure who he was or what he intended to do. But still, nobody was expecting him to come out of that grave. They were all surprised. For example, in Luke 24 and verse 4, it says, The women went into the tomb and found it empty. And they were, the word is puzzled. They were puzzled. It's like, I wonder what's going on. And he'd been telling them. In Mark 13, verses 12 and 13, we're told that Jesus appeared to a couple of his disciples, and they went and told their friends, and their friends wouldn't believe them. Even the Pharisees, now listen to this, the Pharisees were messianic scholars. They had spent their entire lives studying the prophecies concerning the Messiah. They knew Jesus. They had been following Him around. They had been listening to Him preach. They had heard His predictions that He was going to come out of the grave. Even they, the experts, were looking the other way and missed it. And so we need to ask ourselves today, what are we missing? What is God doing right in front of us that we're not seeing? Now, let me be quick to say that I'm not talking about current events in the news. Every time something catastrophic happens in the world, people stand up and try to attribute it to God. You may remember when Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans. People stood up and said, oh, it's God's judgment on New Orleans for being such a sinful city. I'm not talking about that. We need to ask ourselves what we're missing that God is trying to do in our lives. What are you missing that God is trying to do in your life right now? Let me give you some examples. That tightness in your chest that you sometimes feel, that you tell everybody has to do with spicy food. What if it's not spicy food? What if that tightness in your chest is God squeezing your conscience and trying to get you to see something in yourself that needs to be changed? A doctor friend of mine told me one time that half of all the people who come to see him are suffering from guilt and stress. He said that half of all of his patients, if they would just make corrections to their lifestyle, would be able to cure themselves. But they tell themselves they have a medical problem. What if that heartburn has more to do with God than your lunch? Or what about that new, very annoying person who just got hired into your office and stuck in the cubicle next to you? This person who just really gets on your nerves. You may be thinking, boy, that was an unfortunate hire by the boss. But what if it has nothing to do with your boss? What if God put that person next to you Because God wants to teach you some things. To teach you how to be more understanding and patient and tolerant of people who are different from you. Or what about those financial problems? You say it's just bad luck that your car broke down and your refrigerator refrigerator went on the blink and your roof sprung a leak all in the same week. Oh man, what a week I've had. So much bad luck. What if it's not luck? What if it's God? What if it's God trying to get your attention? What if it's God trying to teach you to be more dependent on Him and less materialistic? Friends, here's a verse you need to remember. You never want to forget this verse. You may forget a lot of verses in the Bible. You don't want to forget this one. It's Isaiah 45, 15. It says, truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. That's why I'm encouraging you this morning to take a closer look at some of the things that are happening in your life. Don't just give them a casual glance and shrug them off. Stop and ask yourself if God is doing something, if He is working, if He is trying to change you, if He's trying to help you grow, if He's trying to do a a real work in your life. The Easter story reminds us that God can be doing great, amazing things, and we miss it. Ask yourself, what are you missing? Here's the second question. What are we forfeiting? There's one little detail of the Easter story that I really like, but it's easy just to kind of uh, slide over it when you're reading because there are so many bigger, more spectacular things happening in the story. The detail I'm referring to is that God rolled the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. And of course, he did that so Jesus could come out, but also so his disciples could go in and uh, do some investigating. John chapter 20 and verse 1 says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And we know it wasn't the soldiers, the guards, who rolled the stone away because their lives depended on the stone staying where it was. Those soldiers were there to keep that stone from being moved, and anyone who would have come and tried to move it would have been killed by the guards. And we know it wasn't the disciples who moved the stone, because the Bible tells us that when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away and were in hiding. And anyway, if they had come and tried to move the stone, the soldiers would not have allowed them to. So, it was God who rolled this stone away, which tells us that he's not only great at raising dead bodies, he's also a magnificent stone roller. Which begs the question, why do we struggle so hard to roll our own stones when God is so good at it and is so willing to help us? Now, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've got some problem in your life, and it's just like a big, gigantic stone right in front of you. And it's blocking your way to happiness. You know that everything you want your life to be, everything God wants your life to be, is on the other side of that stone. And you're not getting there, you're not going to be any of that until that stone is rolled away. And so, you're working at it. You're up against that stone, you're grinding, you're pushing, you're sweating, you're straining. And maybe you've moved it two or three inches, but that's not nearly enough. You need to ask yourself, what am I forfeiting when I try to move this stone all by myself? What you're forfeiting is the power of Almighty God. Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. Almighty God who made the sun stand still. Almighty God who brought the the most powerful nation in the world at that time, Egypt, to its knees with ten miraculous plagues. Almighty God who parted the Red Sea. Almighty God who defeated armies with a nod of His head. Almighty God who brought a rotting, stinking Lazarus out of a grave after four days in there and did it a few weeks later again with Jesus after three days in the tomb. Psalm 46.1 says that this Almighty God is an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 37.5 says, trust Him and He will help you. Psalm 108 and verse 13 says, with God's help we will do mighty things. We've got all this magnificent power of Almighty God who's willing to help us and we still try to roll the stones ourselves. We sweat, we strain, we practically kill ourselves trying to move those stones, and when they won't move, we get discouraged. We get frustrated. And many times we give up and just decide to live with the stone. And some of you are living with a stone blocking your way to everything you could be and you've tried to move it yourself, and you've failed, and now you've given up, and you're living with the stone. This morning I want to challenge you to swallow your pride. To humble yourself enough to look up to the Lord and say, Father, would you help me move this stone? Because I can't do it by myself. I know he'll do it. He's anxious to do it. He can't wait to show you what a great stone roller he is. But he's waiting for your permission. He's waiting for you to humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourself under the mighty power of God. So the first two questions, what are we missing that God is trying to do? And what are we forfeiting when we try to roll these stones by ourselves? Here's question number three, what are we choosing? There are many noteworthy things about the resurrection, but to me one of the most interesting things is that it was so divisive. Now, there were pro-Jesus people and anti-Jesus people even before he died, but the resurrection didn't bring those two groups together. It divided them even further. It drove the wedge in even deeper. For example, look at this passage from Matthew 28. It says, some of the guards, and that would have been the guards that were there to protect the tomb, keep it from being opened. Some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. In other words, they told the priests that Jesus was resurrected a meeting of the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. And if the governor hears about this, we'll stand up for you so you don't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. We can see here that Jesus' enemies had a perfect opportunity to assess what had happened and to change their minds about Jesus and maybe even become his followers. But no, They dug in their heels even deeper. They chose to try to fight the resurrection with a lie. And friends, this brings up an important point. Nothing will define you like the choices you make. For the last 2,000 years, these guys, these Pharisees, have been objects of ridicule and scorn because of the choice they made right here in this passage. Listen, they knew. They knew that what had happened at that tomb was miraculous. They were Messianic scholars, for crying out loud. They had been studying this stuff their whole lives. They had been following Jesus around and keeping tabs on Him. They'd heard every sermon He preached. They were taking notes on those sermons. They saw the miracles He performed. And they had the eyewitness accounts of the guards who were there at the tomb and saw the resurrected Lord. These people had a ringside seat at the greatest act of God in all of history. Which tells us that it's not where you are or what you hear or what you see or what you know that matters. It's what you choose. And I will tell you right now that hell will be filled with people who knew about Jesus, who heard about Jesus, who saw the power of Jesus at work around them and even in their own lives, but still chose not to accept it. And so the critical question for all of us becomes, what are we choosing? I do not take it for granted that everybody who's sitting in church on Easter Sunday morning has chosen Christ. I do not take it for granted that everybody who's sitting in church on any Sunday morning has chosen Christ. Some of you have chosen Christ, some of you haven't. Let me tell you the most important thing you need to know about choosing Christ. If you go to church often... Uh, You're going to hear a lot about choosing Christ. You're going to hear a lot of statements made. You're going to hear a lot of things said. Let me tell you, this is the most important thing you will ever need to know about choosing Christ. Never forget this. This is the most important thing. Are you ready? Choosing Christ is not something you do once. It's something you do every single day of your life. You see, the problem with most people is that they feel a swirl of emotion. They find themselves in a tough spot. They're in a foxhole somewhere. Or they hear a sermon that pricks their conscience. Or they have a health scare at the doctor. And they say, oh, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, 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 I need you. But then when things settle down and the crisis passes and the pressure lets up and the emotion subsides, they're right back to living the way they did before. Friends, here at PCC, we encourage you to choose Christ and to keep choosing him every day of your life. Now, the interesting thing about the characters in the Easter story You know, it was pretty easy to choose Christ on that day when he came out of the tomb, right? I mean, those people who knew Christ and had followed him before, wow, he's resurrected. Things are suddenly looking up. I mean, Things are looking good right now. Jesus is alive again. Oh, wow, we have hope. This is great. Easy to choose Jesus on a day like that. But here's what you need to understand. Almost all of those people in that story that you read about they were still choosing Christ years later when their lives were in danger and they were being persecuted and put to death because of their faith. This choice they made of Jesus was not a one-time thing that they made on a good day. It was an everyday thing that they made even when their heads were on the chopping block. Accepting Jesus, choosing Jesus is not something you do once. Sometimes you do it every day. Sometimes you have to do it every hour. Today, as you reflect on the resurrection, that ultimate demonstration of God's I hope you'll ask yourself, what are you missing that God is trying to do in your life? What are you forfeiting when you try to move those stones all by yourself? And the most important question, what are you choosing?